So now, if I am to leave my number on a receipt, then yes, I would definitely make sure to tip above 20%. Does the leaving your number ever work out? Like, what's your success uh, rate? Zero. Absolutely zero. Uh, actually, I, I did get a text back at, at least once. Welcome to episode 14 of the Half and Half Club. Today we are honored and welcome to host our friend. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, though? Sure. I am Belle Guilford. Mm. Belle, are you excited for today's podcast? Or are you a little nervous? I'm excited. I don't feel like you can ask sure. too many questions, but I wouldn't get upset about it. Right. <laughs> so. Or <laughs> say something right back that they don't want. That's Sorry. true. That's true. Um, so, Belle. As we all know and understand, um, we would like to ask you um, some questions because you are about to embark on a journey to live in the UK for a few years. I am. I moved to London in two weeks. So how did this all come about? When was your first idea of wanting to do this? And can you kind of give run us through the journey of getting here? Yeah. So I studied abroad in Ireland in 2017. And on that study abroad, it was a little bit different because we didn't actually take classes at a university. It was, I went to the University of Arkansas and the accounting program over there, like put this together and sent us over there. And on that, we went and visited all the big four accounting firms. And on that trip, I met people at an accounting firm that were doing what my company calls a secondment. And... Basically, that is where you go from the U.S. or to any other country that has a public accounting office and do like a two to three year rotation. And so that's kind of where it opened up. And then once I actually joined public accounting, it takes, I would say, probably like five years to actually get to a point that they like fund this and make it be something that you can do, mainly you have to have like some sort of experience you're going to go over and teach other people. Most of that is getting really technical. They want PCOB experience. But basically like all these countries that do business or companies that do business in the U.S. have to abide by U.S. accounting standards and could be subject to being audited by the boards over here. So that's kind of what made this happen. The short answer is it's an experience I always wanted to have. And so work kind of made that a possibility. So just for the listener's benefit, Bell works for PwC, uh, also referred to as PricewaterhouseCoopers. Mm-hmm. Coopers? Cooper? Yeah, but anything there, I say... Are there multiple Coopers? ...has nothing to do with them. Which is, which is also where Alex started his career. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, producer Celine as well. Um, so, Bell, question for you then... When you started at PwC, mm-hmm. how early on did you indicate to your manager or your peer advisor or whomever that uh, going abroad at some point was something that you were interested in and wanted to do? How, how early did you have to start the process? Um, probably about year three, because again, they're not going to send like an associate. They may send like an experienced senior. Um, probably about year three at the firm, kind of just started that conversation. And actually, I started in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and then transferred to Charlotte, North Carolina, and my manager over here is actually, when I moved to Charlotte, he was on this continent from the UK, but lived in New York. 
So, I'm talking to him every day, I saw that up close. And so, I think that kind of, like, made it where they could have the casual conversations. Um, also, good to note that this was all during COVID. So, last year, I thought about going, but they still had, like, a 14-day restriction. If you left the UK and came back in, of course, Brexit made that really nice because that had to be the UK, not just the EU. Um, so... I would say that I started conversations probably about two years ago, actual conversations of like getting paperwork signed and that process. I started in February and we're just now. And, and was it, was it the goal all along though, that you knew something that you wanted to do and you were just waiting for the right time to have that experience and, and kind of be able to, to bring it up and, and pitch it and be really eligible to be able to have that experience? Or is it something you kind of toyed around with? You know, you enjoyed your study abroad in Ireland, you got some exposure to it, and you're like, hmm, yeah. this might be fun. And then come year three, you're like, okay, I'm ready to pull the trigger on it. No, I'd say I live my life in like two-year increments. Hmm. And I think that's something that was advice I got when I first joined public accounting was like the idea of staying here for 10 years is daunting. But the idea of like knowing what you want to do in two years, you can actually action on. And so I would say I live my life in like two year increments of where do I see myself in two years? So people ask me, how long am I staying? I'm like, staying for at least two years. And we'll see what goes from there. Because if not, life is scary enough. That's actually pretty, that's pretty interesting. Two year increments. That's like, that's, that seems pretty fitting for a lot of people too. So, um, how has the process been so far besides maybe the, the company specifics, but more like getting to London and like finding an apartment and like, is it like as easy as it is here or like, and you had to get like a, what your, your visa, right? Mm -hmm. How'd that go? Um, the visa process was actually pretty easy. Thankfully I'm not going through this on my own. I've known people that may have not had a company sponsorship or like may have gotten a job in the UK or in another country and like gotten themselves over there. So it's been very nice that like there's someone walking me through every step of this and have not found an apartment yet, mainly because the idea of signing lease on an apartment without walking the street, seeing the neighborhood doesn't sound like a good idea, but my company puts me in temporary housing for two weeks and I have a tour with a real estate broker like the third day I get there to go look at apartments. Speaking of, we talked about London, but we didn't talk about, like, why'd you get into accounting? Why, why'd you choose this degree <laughs> over anything? Yeah, I would say, I would say I'm in accounting loosely, um, but I don't know how I ended up in accounting. When someone came to talk to, I knew I wanted to do business, so I went to the University of Arkansas, was in their business school, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, they make all of the business students do two classes of accounting and one of those classes someone came in just kind of talked about what it would be like to switch to an accounting major and I just had no idea what I wanted to do and I heard enough that if you went into accounting as your major you could do any job in business so it at least kept all those doors open um and then they really get you because they give you a job offer like your junior year of college <laughs> and <laughs> that's kind of hard to say no to um, is how I ended up in accounting and I'm on the IT side of accounting. So like, I don't look at balance sheets and things like that. So like, I support accounting. 
Oops, making that clear. I feel like sometimes when I say I'm not a real accountant, sometimes people are like, oh, a spicy accountant. I'm like, no, no, not a spicy accountant. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, so I, I got a lot of... Do you, do you want to keep on the counter? I, I kind of want to no, ask... No, I would some, love to get off all right, the yeah, counter. All right, yeah, all right. So let's do this. Um, situation. Okay. You're on the plane ride over. You land. You have two weeks in your housing. You're going to meet with a realtor, check out some... Some apartments, but that first day, let's say, you know, you unpack and, um, but that first night, what are you doing? Um, I think the plane ride is going to be emotional. Mm. Right now, it doesn't feel real. Right. My apartment is a disaster, so like it feels like I'm moving somewhere, but it doesn't feel like I'm moving to another country. Um, That first night, I imagine I'm going to go to a pub. Good. And have dinner. That's the answer I was hoping for. I don't know. Really hope that the bartender's nice. Because <laughs> I've ever actually had dinner at a restaurant without my computer being in front of me actually working. So wow. it's going to be okay. an adventure in the first three days I'm there, like completely by myself. So, so I'm just going to go tour around. Do you want to, are you going to travel while you're over there? Do you want to go? Okay. Yes. So okay. I think that's obviously a huge draw of it is being so close to all these other European countries. And like Ryanair has 30 euro or 30 pound flights. Um, and then trains are also really easy and convenient. So yes, I don't know how much traveling and like right now I can't book any travel. Um, so you don't have a schedule or anything yet for I don't traveling? Have a schedule yet. Okay. Okay. Um, so you have like a week before you start, right? I have a week before like my official start date. So are you going to do, what else are you going to do besides go to the pub? Do you have anything planned like sightseeing or like things like? No, I've been to London before. So I've seen like all the big like sightseeing. So, but also that's just like walking around everywhere. So I think it's going to be interesting because like that's just yeah. so much going to be, you're not going to look at it the same way when you pass the Buckingham Palace Yeah. at least once a month. What are you most excited about? And then what are you least excited about? And you can't say, I'm going to miss my friends and family because that's, that's a, that's a, yeah, no, no, that's, that's yeah. too basic. Um, most excited for traveling, I think. Um, I love traveling. I enjoy it every time. I've been in Europe, so I think that will be really fun. And also just, like, I think I see all the different countries that people in the U.S. travel to and, like, the different cities, but I think where actual Europeans go on vacation is different, so it'll be nice to, like, see those new areas as well that you don't just see on Instagram all the time over here. What I'm most nervous for... um, Was that the question, or was it what I'm going to miss? Either one. I'd say I'm most nervous. I would say just about meeting friends and, like, finding, like, a stable group of people to actually be friends with. Because when I moved to Charlotte, I didn't know anyone. So I know how lonely it can be and, like, actually finding people that you get along with and actually feel comfortable with. So I'd say that. But I have more, like, friends of friends and connections like that that people have made over there than... I think I imagined when I got into this. Nice. On the exciting part, I don't want to let you off that easy. You said you wanted to travel. I think that's a big reason Mm -hmm. why a lot of people move over to the UK. So you got to give us at least top three. What are the the three Mm. weekend trips? Because that's, you know, you can do that in in Europe. You can take a a quick train ride over just for the weekend, not really have to take much PTO to some kind of destination. And I know you thought about it. What are are three that you're excited for? 
I know I said non-U.S. that people are going to, but I think South of France, beautiful. Mm. Nice. Love okay. to go there. For wine? Um, that's Casual. the beaches. Mm. Okay. Like, the water is so pretty. French food. Um, second, I would say Belgium. And <laughs> this one is going to be, like, really weirdly, oddly specific, but I had a pig named Bel- that I named Belgium. <laughs> and so I feel like... I. I don't even know how I ended up there, but I, I have to. Check I'm so glad you said that because <laughs> in my head I was trying to figure out how I was going to spin in that used to show pigs. Okay. But I'm so glad that you brought that up. But no, all right, that's two. You got one um, more. Switzerland, Germany. So you said that you know you would you you would like to find like you know a group of friends that you would like to hang out with and get to know and hang out with on a regular basis. Are you being over there for two years? That's a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. Are you? open to starting a relationship yeah in the UK yeah I don't think that I would have moved somewhere that wasn't like an option Mm. like I mean dating I think is the easiest way to meet people in a new city Mm. because like when I moved to Charlotte I was like oh I'm gonna make all these friends it's gonna be so easy and then you realize it's a little bit more difficult to make friends it's a lot easier to get on a dating app and go on a date with someone so yes I'm open to it obviously British accents never hurt anything. <laughs> we'll see if you're sick of those by the end of uh, your time. I don't know. But um, we'll are you guys, do you guys like the British accent in general? Is that? Yeah, it's so cool. Really? Just the European accent's off. Alex, why do you I, not like it? I don't know. I, are you just a hater? Too Hot to Handle, I think, is like that show that's like, there's a British one that just, it just, I couldn't handle it. I don't know why. There, there's also a lot of different <laughs> British accents, though, just like there are a lot of different American accents. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I it think, doesn't matter. I don't care. Yeah, I think the, the northerner person. is a little rough, which is obviously a lot different than <laughs> your posh, you know, English accent, which is which is what all the guys in the movies have. Yeah. And the reason I asked that, Bill, is because if you were to say, no, I don't think so, you know, I want to travel, enjoy it, and then come back after two years, I was going to say, you know, when you... Don't plan on getting a significant other is usually sometimes when you find a significant other. So that, no, I think that was a good answer. And I'm glad you're open to that. No, I mean, I'm interested for dating in a new country, which Dom may be scaring me with the different Instagram videos he's been sending me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Dom. We're supposed to be talking her up. Come on. (laughs) What what have you been sending her, Dom? You you can find it on Instagram if you want to. There's this one account that... I don't know if it knows somehow that Belle is moving to England, but it's just been popping up for me all the time. And it's uh, it's English guys in movies versus reality. It has nothing um, to do with the fact you're interacting with it every time it comes up. Yeah, well, I, I certainly make sure to send them all to Belle. So uh, the the premise of them is the, the English uh, movie uh, character is, is much more respectable than the in-real-life version that the very talented and creative uh, creator... Instagram real creator uh, portrays. Um, yeah, but so I guess you're talking dating apps, but what about like those friend apps, right? Because I think... I like Bumble BFF. Yeah, like a Bumble BFF. Do you think... And well, actually, are, do you even know if there are... I mean, I'm sure there's dating apps, but like, yeah. are they the same here? Like Bumble yeah. Engine stuff? It's all the same dating apps. Um, so I think it'll be interesting also to see it. I think there's a lot of similarities between... The U.S. and the U.K. Obviously, a lot of differences as well. But I think, like, on that level, there are the same dating apps that are the big ones. Um, there may be a couple of other things as well. But 
So, are you ready for the the UK lingo, the vocabulary? <laughs> no. All right. So, okay. Okay. This is good because <laughs> this is a non reoccurring segment called Dom, Alex, and Ryan help Bell learn UK vocabulary. Okay. Working title. Working title. It's a working title. You know, it's it's a long one. It wouldn't be good on a title, but um, okay. So, Bell, we have ten English phrases. Okay. Okay. So we're gonna give you the the UK you know lingo, and you're gonna give us the uh, American equivalent. Mm. All right, we have ten of them. I'll read off a few. We'll go back and forth, and then we have a bonus at the end. Okay, what like yeah. rating would you give these? Say um, some of them you've heard before. No, like a like an G rated. Oh, like um, no, no, no. These are um, definitely PG. Okay. Yeah, only one of them. Only one word is no, no. None of them are bad words. Okay. Okay. Does that help? Yeah. All right. Just need to be know what I'm being set up I think, for. I think so. The the other piece of the game, right, is you have ten ten questions, and we're gonna shoot them off to you, just the word, and you have to say what they mean. You get two instances okay. where you can ask for context. You can say use it in a sentence. Only two. So you have to use them wisely. Okay. And how how well do you think you're gonna do? If you had to pick a score out of ten. Like how what, many I'm getting correct? Yeah, how many are you getting correct? How Four. how much studying have you done? None. Four. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's low. That's low. Did low you confidence. find these on Google or did you like ask Richie about them? No, we just I, I just, just found them on Google. Just on Google. Okay. Yeah, I think they're yeah. so Pub- we don't know public, if they're actually used. Public knowledge. Okay. No, they are. They're used. They're no, used. they're used because I know Celine helped me out with them, and she said that she had a former teacher that would use some of these as well. Okay. So they're well known. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're just trying to help you out here. You know? Okay. Okay. Here that's we go. Fine. Um, first word is dishy. D-I-S-H-Y. Dishy. Use it in a sentence. <laughs> Damn. That dude over there is kind of looking dishy. She <laughs> has so many different ways. I think you'll be looking to meet some dishy men uh, when you move out. Attractive? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Someone who is attractive. Dang. Dishy. Ding, 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 ding. That's odd. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. I'm not going to lie. Um, next one. This one, yeah. I, th- I think it's a slightly easier one. Trainers. What are trainers? Tennis shoes. Ding, ding, ding. Nice job. Nice job. Okay. And my third one. Um, what is a jumper? It's a sweater. Ding, ding, ding. Wow, easy. Okay, I thought that one might trip you up a little bit. Nice. All I right. will say I have been on like London TikTok for like five months now. It's where it shows me everything on. So okay, all right. That's I follow fashion bloggers over there as well. So that's now <laughs> know the jumper. Um. All right. Here's another one. Uh, biscuits. Biscuits. <laughs> you want to try that again? <laughs> yeah, I almost read the the word. <laughs> what is a biscuit? <laughs> They're cookies. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was pretty easy. I just, I, that's why I was getting there. Okay. Uh, knackered. With a K. K-N-A-C-K-E-R-E-D. Drunk. Uh, yeah, that's a good guess, but uh, uh, wrong. Answer? Should I give an answer? Or yeah. should we? Okay. It is uh, very tired. Hmm. Knackered after a day at work. All right. Uh. What about your diary? Diary. <laughs> what was that, dude? No, that was so good. That was so good. What is your diary? 
Close. Uh, it's your schedule. I'm not going to try to do an accent. <laughs> I can't do it again. <laughs> I can't do it. Okay. All right. Final final four coming up here. She's what? Missed two? I yeah. missed way more than two. No, you won't no, miss two. No, I think oh, you're... Okay. I think, so you've already hit your, your prediction. Got you it. predicted you'd get four. So you can get all of these wrong. Okay. And, and still meet, meet budget here. Which, I, honestly, four out of ten, though, that was pretty low yeah. expectation for yourself. Um, so, let's see. Next word, lift. No, to be confused with the app or no? Not, not the app. Uh, spelled L-I-F-T. You have, what, one remaining using in a sentence? Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Five. Five for seven now? Five for seven? This one's I think, is going to throw you for a loop. Uh, nosh. N-O-S-H. Use in a sentence. Uh, feeling a bit cheeky tonight. I think I'm going to head to the pub for some nosh. Beer? Food? <laughs> <laughs> Which is it? Food. Correct. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if you need to be feeling cheeky. I'd probably like. Yeah, I don't think so. that has anything I, to do I, with I either. Throw, I, I don't really know any other English you know, <laughs> phrases. So. In it. In it. Pretty good. In it. Um, this one. Okay. Interesting. You're you are out of using a sentence, unfortunately, because this okay. one could be good. But. Starkers. Pants. No. Starkers would actually be the lack of pants. Starkers would be naked. Birthday suit. <laughs> And final one. I'm so sorry you couldn't say that sentence. <laughs> final one. What is a bum bag? <laughs> this, these are things you're gonna need to know, Bella. You're gonna look. You're gonna look ridiculous if someone asks you if you remember to bring your bum bag and you start laughing at them, <laughs> like you are right now. I don't know. A backpack? No, unfortunately, that is incorrect. It is a fanny pack. Okay. Bum bag. It makes a lot. Of, it makes a lot of sense once you think about it. It does. Because everyone's going to be wearing them. <laughs> everyone's going to have their bum bag. If they were, if they were girls in South End Charlotte walking down the rail trail, they'd wear it around their, they'd wear it around their uh, torso, mm -hmm. crossbody. I, I regret. I digress. But no, that was like a lovely segment. This is so practical, Bill. Like you're going to look at your your diary. You know, you're going to get on the lift to go eat some nosh, and you're going to put on your fanny pack, your bum pack. This is great. And hopefully, the, the uh, waiter will be quite dishy. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can have some good banter. How about that? So, how'd, how'd she do, Ryan? Tally us up. Um, I think you were eight, eight for ten. Mm. No. Wait, I thought you only missed two. No, I think I missed, like, I Oh, no, she five. didn't get fanny pack. No, three. No, four. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Six. You didn't get the last two. Six for ten. That's great. Great. Uh, how many points is this bonus one worth? Two? Just just one? Okay. Right, here we points. go. All right, so this is kind of a trick question. Not Great. really. Okay. Not really. We'll, we'll, okay. What is the first floor of a building? It's like technically the second level. You are correct. The Very good. The first level is the garden I level. didn't know this. Celine was telling me about it. Yeah, the because in the United States, it's the ground floor, and then the first elevated floor is the... No, no, no. Yeah, am I, am I right? You're saying this is in, UK, in, in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, first and then yeah. ground and then first floor, yes. So very good. Great job, Bella. Thank you. You know, we're just trying to help you out over here. Yeah, claps all around. I do have one more question. 
if I go to send you an email to your work email during the month of August mm -hmm. next year, what am I going to get as an out-of-office? Um, so, a little bit more complicated because my, while the company has the same name, they're two separate entities as part of, like, component firms. <laughs> and so I will have a different email address. So oh, so I just, won't, I just won't get, I, so I'll just, just get like, a return to sender. You'll just get, actually you won't get that because it will like forward on, I think, or just go to this like weird holding place. Like that's a problem I don't even think, because I don't fully get terminated yet. So you'll just get no response. It's even worse. No response. Okay. Because what I was expecting is that I was going to get a thank you for your email. I will be taking my annual... <laughs> month-long vacation yeah <laughs> please reach out oh, to so one of my like, you, overworked american co-workers should you need oh, an immediate response that's where that's the route you're going um <laughs> <laughs> not so literal um i don't think the uk does like full-on august vacations as like some other countries in europe do they do take a lot of vacations like i have more vacation days over there than i do in the u.s for sure and also, like, have bank holidays over there. You, you might not want to give us the specific number of vacation days you get, yeah. but what what do you think the, the difference is between an American employee and a U.K. employee, um, either percentage-wise or number of days-wise? Yeah. What, what would you expect? How, how many more days would you I wouldn't say that even, like, in the U.S., I take all my vacation days all the time. Like, yearly, I'm not taking all my vacation days. I accrue them. They roll over. So I think you end up feeling better about it but I don't end the year with like a zero balance. Um, I think it's more something that everyone does at all levels. Whereas I think sometimes in the US, summer should be our easier months, but there's always like a review or something else going on that it's like tone at the top, I think is not always like people taking as much vacation. I'm hoping. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say. I feel like that's that's the biggest issue. Is that we have we, we have the time, but do people actually do it? And is there the pressure? So that would be like super interesting to hear if yeah. you have that much pressure to like not take off, I guess, or it's like frowned upon. And yeah. maybe if you don't like, maybe you don't take as much vacation as other people. Like, what do people think about you? I don't know. That'd be that'd be interesting because here it's like. I don't think people really frown upon people that don't take vacation. I think it's starting to get there. Like some companies are like, you have to take vacation and people get upset if you don't because then you look like you're working too hard or whatever. But yeah, anyway, that'll be interesting. Like the new big thing in public accounting in the U.S. is like unlimited vacation. And <laughs> I think that sounds even worse because yeah, no. like we have it monitored like on all the sheets that are sent out to the manager plus group. It has everyone's name as like their balance of vacation hours. So it's monitored, it gets highlighted to try and get people to take more vacation. And I think if you're at an unlimited vacation, it's probably not being monitored that much. And I think people are probably actually taking less vacation. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's studies that definitely like show that. And then if you do like take more vacation, like there's usually like other repercussions, at least people claim. Yeah. Right. That's what I was going to ask. Like, I went to Unlimited, and I feel like I'm taking probably less than, not before, yeah, may, yeah maybe less than before, because I feel like I don't want to abuse it, you know? I don't want to feel like, the, and I always think that, probably they don't think this, but, you know, oh, if I were to take, you know, 
three, four days off, you know, a month after I took two or three days off, would they think I'm abusing it? Like, I would overthink it almost too much. Right. Yeah. It has to be an interesting process, too, because, like, I also track every hour. Like, I bill basically every hour I charge to a code. Right. So, I can't imagine what it would be like in that circumstance as well, because, like, right now, like, say I need to work 40 hours this week, I could do that in four days, and then, like flex my Friday so I wouldn't be taking vacation because I already worked my 40 hours. Do you have to let them know you're going to do that beforehand or can you just do it on a whim? Um, I can do it on a whim. Hmm. Um, like obviously. You got to let your team know what my team's at and stuff like that. Um, if there's like deadlines that I need to be there for. Do you plan to do that a lot? So I do that now. Oh really? So like that's something that team like is very much something that people do. But yes, I'll do that over there as well if needed. But I also do have a lot of vacation time. So more vacation time and more flexibility with hours. That's nice. Well, you do you do that now. You said still. Yeah, I think I that that's just like that. part of charging your hours like that hmm. is like you have a little bit more leeway. And also, like if I don't, if I'm not assigned to a client, like I don't have work. So, Bell, one final question for you before we wrap up the insightful half of our podcast. If I am a young professional, either in uh, the accounting industry or otherwise, and International work experience is something that I'm after. What advice do you have for me? I would say the easiest way to go about it that I've found is to find a company that will sponsor it. So most of the time, I would say that's going to be a larger company that does business in other countries or has like relationships and building those relationships, I think, is the easiest way to go about it. And sometimes it's not even a big company. Sometimes it's just, like, a very specialized company that has a manufacturing company or something like that over in that area. I found that the financial services industry was easiest for me to go to London, as that's one of the biggest banking capitals in the world. And that's what I work in now. So that was an easy transition. So I think it's, like, finding what industry you're in, because you need to, like, have some sort of specialized knowledge to bring over and then finding a company that will sponsor it, I think is the easiest way. Um, in the UK, there's pretty much like three different types of visas that would be available to me. Obviously like the easiest one to get is a study abroad visa. Most people have heard about that. Um, that doesn't, I don't think, don't quote me on this. I don't think it gives you like a path to residency mm-hmm. or you also can't work on it. Like you can't make a salary. So that's probably not realistic unless you're just going over for a couple of years to maybe like get your MBA or something like that. Yeah. Um, another path is like an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, I can't mm. even say that word correctly. Entre- entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, visa and you have to have like a large sum of money that you can prove out. Mm. And then the third one, which is what I'm on is more, is a skilled worker visa. And this is also just very much just for the UK. I don't know what other countries offer. Humble brag. But, no. And so my company sponsored that. And so they are tied to that visa. So I will be working for that company with this visa. Um, You could also apply for that visa without having a company sponsoring you. So say you're working for a company in the U.S. You don't want to have to move to another company to go over to the U.K. But you find, I don't know, LinkedIn or something like that, like a job posting in the U.K., and you interview it for, for it, and like you find a job over there, you can apply on your own for a skilled worker visa. And I think you just have to show like proof of funds. I think it's 10,000 mm-hmm. pounds usually. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that's something that they may look at, like, once you go into the country. Because on my visa, it says, like, no looking at funds, basically. They don't hmm. have to prove my funds. Um, I'd say that that's hmm. the best path. Like, And also, if you don't find a job trying to find one, like, in the U.S. to go over there, you could come in on that visa and, like, go interview and try and find a job over there. Hmm. Very good. So what I, what I came away with from that is it, it can, you should, you should start thinking about it early. And at least in your case, it was very beneficial to find a company that has a global presence, especially in the place that you ultimately want to work. Yeah. And you start working for them, keep your head down for a couple of years, build rapport, build relationships, and then let the opportunity, yeah. fo- vocalize, vocalize your will for it. And then let yeah. the opportunity kind of develop itself. Yeah, and I think a lot easier, too, if, like, you have an idea of what country you want to mm-hmm. move to. Like, my company has, has, my company has offices in a lot of different countries. A mm-hmm. lot of those I'm, like, immediately not qualified for because I don't speak their language. So, like, mm-hmm. France, for example, you need to speak French. But, say, Amsterdam, you don't have to speak Dutch. They do business in English over there. Mm. But why I think that wasn't really an option that I wanted to go down is while people are speaking English in a work setting and talking about work, when they're having their own conversations on the side, they're speaking Dutch, bar, they're speaking Dutch. So I didn't want to move somewhere that I don't speak the language and like have that much more of a difficult time making friends, not to say two years from now or three years from now, that's not a path I don't want to go down, but as a first time moving out to another country, it sounded like a lot to take on. And just for the record, everyone here is drinking tea. We're, you know, <laughs> in honor of Belle, we're all drinking hot tea. Belle's got cold tea, but um, mm-hmm. but no, Belle, yeah. yeah. Thanks so for having all the ice I can get. All right, so Belle, we mentioned this earlier um, about the pigs that you showed growing up. And, yeah. Um, a few, about a month and a half ago, we were at the Whitewater Center, and we had a pretty good in-depth conversation about it, um, but I never knew this about you until then, but, so growing up, you showed pigs. How did this come to be, and just kind of walk us around it? Yeah, so I guess this is shocking to anyone that doesn't know me or does know me. This is shocking. This is not my fun fact that I say. This is my fun fact that people at work say about me. Two people to get a reaction. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I had never seen a pig in person. I think it's a good thing to say at about seventh grade because I think I got my first pig when I was in eighth grade. And I really wanted a like little pot belly live in the house pig. And like normal parents, my parents were like, oh, hell no. Um, I grew up in the hill country of Texas on a house that was basically on a ranch. So not that crazy, but I didn't want a pig to live in the backyard. I wanted a pig to live in the house. So I had never seen a pig in person. My parents had never seen a pig in person and I really wanted one. They said, no, I went to school and there was this girl in my class that was talking about how she owned a pig. And I basically was like, how? She told me she was in this club, FFA, which is Future Farmers of America. And I was joining. So I went home and told my parents that we had a meeting at the high school we had to go to for this club I wanted to join, and it was going to teach me all these life lessons. And we went, and we were leaving there with, how do we buy a pig? 
And so that's basically when we went out to a pig farm, looked at the piglets. Um, at this point, they're probably like a month old and picked one out. And like, obviously the FFA teacher did that with you. And so FFA is done through your high school. So it's like, that is a teacher, ag teachers at high schools that are like paid by the state or city. And so they would help you with that process. So there we went home with two pigs and did you know what, what you were to looking do. For in a pig? No, so that's why the ag teachers right. were there and like told but, us so what, what were to you, do. What, what did she tell you? Um, you were looking so for? like you're looking for so what so what these pigs are judged on. Yeah. So they are judged. So you you take them to a show. Usually it starts at a counting show. They have to be within 220 to 280 pounds when you show them. And to show them, you basically walk around and you have like a little whip but that's gonna sound bad it's just kind of just like a little like it's like a long string that has like a little flap almost at the end and like you just kind of nudge them um you're not hitting them hard you nudge them in the ham or the bacon um (laughs) and they usually on the neck sometimes you'll do the back but like usually the shoulders the neck of like the neck like pull your neck up because when you pull your neck up your back looks far. So you're judging on their meat structure and bone structure okay. and like how they walk. And so when their neck goes up, you know, your muscles flex better and things like that. And then you would tap them on the sides for the way that you want them to walk. So obviously you're putting in a ton of time. You're feeding these animals twice a day. You're taking care of them. You're <laughs> to show them, you are shaving them. Um, you are putting purple shampoo on them to make them as bright and white as possible. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had no idea so much went into this. And when you were telling yeah. me about it at the Whitewater Center, I was so enthralled in this. I didn't know, nor did my parents know what went into it either. And like, it is a lot. So you usually get a pig in September. The first show is your county show at like end of January. And then you can take them on to major shows. So from Texas, for me, that was like the Houston Suction Rodeo, the San Antonio Suction Rodeo, which is basically the ones that we always hit. Um. And those are like the big ones. And after that, the animal goes on the truck. So like, obviously this is hard. And like, I think when you hear this, people are like, oh my gosh, you have this pet that then you're eating. And I never ate my animals, but they did go on the truck or like two farms to be fed out afterwards. But in my mind, like one, unfortunately, this is what these animals are for. And you don't realize how big they get. So when we'd go look at these different pigs, you would see the moms and like, these animals are huge. If you think about the fact you're getting a piglet at in September and they may be like a month old because like one animals like this grow so fast mm-hmm. and you're showing them in January and they're already like 220, 280 pounds. Like that's a full grown. And what do they weigh when you get them at one month? 30 pounds maybe. Oh my God. Maybe less. Yeah. So that's so They much grow so and... fast. And like, so that's also, so like we're hot. So we, so you're not just feeding them corn like you would right. at a farm to be like fed out. You're feeding them all these different items. So like when we would feed them, I'd go out there with like a list of like 10 things long that you would have to feed them. They're also the most like temperamental animal. So like if the weather, which goes from like hot to cold back to hot or something in a day, the pig's going to get sick. So you have to like really regulate their temperature. We, they had a little house and there was a heater in there. Um, never thought about giving a pig a shot, how that would go. These animals are, one, very smart. Right. It goes like dolphin, dog, pig, I think. Um, they have toys. 
Because you said you, um, and every pig's different. Like you said, you would always have yeah. one pig that constantly got sick, right? Yeah. Um, I actually had one pig that died. Oh, wow. And I, like we, my dad had to go get his caterpillar, which is like a machinery thing to get the pig out of there. Because mm-hmm. like 280 pounds of just dead weight and like a very small compressed area. So like they're super sweet. Um, very nice. You just like sometimes had to watch your knees when they like feeding time. Cause like, obviously you hear everything pigs love to eat. So they'd get like super excited. Just come barreling in. Or yeah. So usually like you'd come in and you would like, I would let them out into the yard to run around and then I'd shut the door. Cause if I didn't, and I like went into their like feed room to make their meals, right. they would be like hitting everything like crazy, but it was wild. Like the, just like the formula of like what you have to feed them. You would just never. So yeah, there's like, an, you said there's like 10 ingredients in there. Do, yeah. Is it all mixed together and you feed those 10 ingredients each meal or do like no, you it's feed each certain pig, ingredients? Each pig has a different diet basically. Whoa. So and like each pig. Things yeah. Day? So it's like, what do you want? It's all, it's a complete science. So say you have, so a 280 pound pig is going to look better than a 220 pound pig. Okay. But pigs are judged against each other based off of their breed. So there's a lot of different breeds of pigs inside of this. And then also their weight. They have weight classes. But then at the end, so you get into your group based off the weight and the breed of your pig. Say that you win that cohort. Then you go over to breed champion, basically. And so each weight level goes into the ring to be judged against each other. Obviously, the 280-pound pig is usually going to beat the 220-pound pig just because they look better. They're more filled out. So it's like this whole scenario of how much do you feed them if you want them to weigh in in January, but you want to show them again in March. Like that pig has to come in at 220 because like you have to keep that pig from gaining 60 pounds in the next month and a half. Wow. But, and then also the weight that you weigh in with them, that pig can only fluctuate like two or three pounds from like when you, like from the, so like say you, go in on you're going to show on a Saturday and your pig gets there on a Thursday and you weigh in and you tell them what your weight's going to be. You then have to keep that pig within two or three pounds. So you're like limiting their water. You're weighing them after their water. Um, You basically are feeding them Gatorade too. Like you're trying to like pump them up. So it's a whole thing. So no, it's not as easy as you'd like there's 10 different things mixed in and you scoop it in. This is literally like wrestling to a T. <laughs> yes. And it, it makes sense because pigs get in the dirt, they get in the mud. So maybe, maybe if wrestling's made after pig shows. <laughs> it is similar. Wow. But I only was on the pig side of it. Um, I had friends that were in all different sides. So I lived almost like, it is crazy to look back on because like I it was kind of like a different life. And it wasn't something that like my family grew up in. Like we did not grow up in any sort of like farming industry business, like no history in any part of my family of that. So I, we, it was just a new experience for all of us. And I was on the board of FFA, um, had to do all these different public speaking things. So like it, it's so much more than I ever knew than anyone ever knows. Well, it's so cool that like everyone that you work with and, you know, know here, like from where, you were there to where you are now. Like mm-hmm. no one has that background. No. One. And so it's something. So I, it's got to be cool that you have some a unique background that you know you learned a ton from probably because you had no knowledge about it and you learned so much. And then you know 
you went from you know showing pigs to now you're an accountant on the technical side of it, and it's right. like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I wish I could say this is like the only crazy thing. Like I, I think I just end up in these situations, which I think that's also like, I don't think anyone's that shocked that I'm moving to the UK. Like I don't think most of the random hobbies and things I do is like all that shocking. I've so you're just comfortable being uncomfortable doing something new or what? I would say yes. I mean, that's just like, that's so many different groups of different types of people and situations to put myself in. Um, hopefully it doesn't mean that I just like to do activities for a few years and then I get tired of them and never do them again. But <laughs> no, I think you're just I've done, exploring. I've you're done a lot of random things in this past 27 years. So, Okay. What other random thing other than showing pigs? We can't get into this. We would have another 30 minutes. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just curious now. But um, no, thank you for sharing the pig thing. Um, Do y'all have any questions related to that? Final question. Did showing pigs influence your decision to go to the University of Arkansas? (laughs) Um, No, I think it's just like a happy coincidence. I wouldn't say it's like an agricultural school that I ended up in. Um, but I will say it did make it where I knew I didn't want to go to Texas Tech because I had to go there for a lot of, no hate, but like a, a little bit. Okay. I had to go there for a couple of FFA things. All right, Belle, welcome to the casual half of the half and half pod. We've had a little bit of a wardrobe change, at least Ryan, uh, myself, and and you've got some, we've got some jerseys on, some Arkansas sweatshirts on. No love over here. I got a Penn State oh, t-shirt. okay. He went, well, he went t-shirt Dude, to t-shirt. I didn't, I didn't, see I didn't that. notice. Yeah, he, he was pretty. Sneaky change. Yeah, pretty, pretty sneaky with it. You're like uh, Beyonce with the outfit change. Over there. <laughs> I like that. But um, yeah, no, Ryan, Ryan mentioned it. We switched from our normal coffee. We're drinking a little bit of tea this time in celebration of Bell's future culture. And I think it prompts a question, fellas and Bell. Is that dumb? If I am in the UK and I order this cup of tea, how much am I going to tip for it? Belle, what do you think? Um, there wouldn't be no expectation of tipping. So it would be a situation where you could tip if you wanted to, but their expectation would not be there. You would not be getting the hate messages. Um, Apparently, that just means that I think things are priced that way, slash like salaries or hourly pay is paid at a level where tipping's not involved. Whereas I think in the U.S., when waitresses are paid, they're paid, I have no idea, like a couple dollars an hour, and then tips make up the rest of that. Yeah, wait, so I guess, wait, first off, I didn't realize that about Europe, because is that what, Richie said that too, right? Like one of our friends, like he doesn't. He didn't get the tipping culture news here, or is that... I'm, I'm always putting words yeah, in his mouth. it's a good but. time to say it, that it'll be both of y'all's first times to leave the country coming to. Yeah, right. Okay? I've never been to Europe, um, so I, never, I don't know any about this. Me neither. All three of us. So, like, that's kind of a crazy concept, though, because, like, we're... Like, our tipping is getting out of control. And, and like, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a casual thing, because he said, like, Richie has mentioned it before, and he, he hasn't just mentioned it. He gets pretty heated about the the tipping culture in the U.S. And the thought process there is that we should just pay our service staff a reasonable living wage that doesn't require us to tip on top of uh, the service that they're providing. It, it, should be, it should be baked into the cost. So is there, is there an instance where you would tip in the U.K.? Mm, 
I, not, not that I'm aware. I, I would imagine maybe something like uh, valet, maybe valet car. Yeah. If yeah, someone's no, parking your car, no. some kind of service like that, maybe a shoe shine, something that's more of a, of a traditional, more not, unique not personal service where you yeah. can kind of overachieve, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to something where I'm going to a restaurant to get food. Someone is bringing me the food, and that's their job. And I, I think in the U.S. we standard tip twenty percent, right? Regardless of how the service is, some people have a a, a little bit more of a. Um, threshold there, they'll go low if the service is bad and high if it's not. But per, I mean, personally, I, I don't know about you guys. I'd be I'd be curious. I it takes a lot for me to shift up or downwards from the twenty percent standard. It, it has to be really bad for me to go less than that, and it's I it's got to be good for me to want to go above that. Uh, I, I think it's it's yeah. kind of just commonplace for me. Agreed, agreed. And I think the only time I would really go down from that is if multiple times we were like, where's our waiter, waitress? Like, you know, I asked for water 20 minutes ago, and, and if she's if they're really busy, like, he, she's really busy running around, and, like, I'm like, oh, okay, like, they definitely just forgot. Like, I won't even bring it down then. But if it's, uh, if they're late, if, if, I, if I think they're being lazy, or if it's, like, let's just say I'm eating wings or something, my mouth's hot, you know, I need some water, and I'm just waiting, waiting, and I just don't think that the effort's there, that's kind of when I go down. That's such a specific instance, but I... Which, which which I can relate to, but um, but even even that though, like even if a waitress or a waiter doesn't come like quickly, or maybe they're working hard because there's not a lot of staff or something, then people almost tip more because they're like they feel bad for the person. Like I feel like there's really low amounts of times when people go low for bad service. So like, what's the point anymore? Because like it's like I don't feel like many people like reduce the the amount for bad wage bad service because everyone will make up some excuse or something you know yeah i have a question so you want like you don't like the idea of tipping but would you like the idea better if the prices were just raised 20 percent and then you didn't have a choice like i think yeah i mean that's a really good question because i well so i guess let me know if i'm wrong but i think you were saying this earlier we're tipping and that's reducing the payroll that the company that's hiring these workers has to, to pay, right? Because it's correct covering part of the yeah. 750 minimum correct. wage or whatever minimum wage is for their area. So so maybe, but like, do you think that they, let's say tipping went down at a restaurant. Are they going to jack up their prices because now the tips aren't covering payroll wages? I'm not sure. I don't I don't think so. I think, I, I think it's pretty easy to get. I think it's pretty easy to make up the difference between the call it two fifty that they get and the and the minimum wage in tips if that's the requirement. So I think, I think if we were to say that we automatically add twenty percent tips or we just don't do any tips at all and the restaurants themselves have to carry that burden of the payroll cost. It's just when, like when supply costs go up, they have to push it onto the consumers and they have to make the food more expensive so if they have to absorb that payroll cost then i think food just does become more expensive so it's kind of that same thing which do you prefer do you want more expensive food and you don't have the expect uh, expectation to tip or do you want it to be priced how it is and you have that option to kind of kind of dictate based on service or based on your personal preference but i also think the point here is these servers are not just making minimum wage that their tips are bringing them up to. So it wouldn't be a just switching from 
okay, we're at two something and we're going to bring it up to minimum wage and that's not what we're paying them. Like they would have to pay them enough and what's happening in Europe is these people are being paid enough that it's a living wage. And like they're able to pay for their apartment and their food and live their life on that. And I think if you don't have that, then I think we're, we're already struggling to find workers in those roles. There's no way anyone would do that. Jane. I don't know though. Like I, if I, in my opinion, I think you're, you're, you're right in a lot of places, but I'm looking around in Charlotte and the people I've known that have bartended, even in New York and stuff, like those people make some darn good money. Like, and they're not, they're making way over minimum wage. So I'm almost taking back questioning my own thing. I just said, like, Tips are like, some people are getting loaded off of tips. And I mean, maybe that's a good thing for them, but I don't know. No, I think you're, I think you're right. I don't think that bartenders, waiters, waitresses would want to make to go away. I don't think they'd want a, a standard check because I think, you know, yes, some people, you know, hover around 20, but then every once in a while, I mean, I've had, you know, in college and stuff, I had friends that worked in the restaurant business and they'd be like, yeah, this one dude just randomly tipped me like 100 bucks or like 50 bucks, and like that takes that possibility away. So yes, I'm sure it kind of evens out in a way, but I think that it, I think you got a better chance to make more money with tipping. I, I really do. I think you'd have to pay a pretty decent wage yeah. to make up for it, which would I think really hurt the restaurants. And also, does it does having tipping kind of incentivize you as a restaurant to drive business because your employees wages are going to be directly correlated to the amount of business that you're able to do. So if you have a, a dining room that's constantly empty, your workers are not going to be happy and they're going to go as soon as they get an opportunity to the guy across the street that's bumping all the time. Great point. It's a great point. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a dual incentive, right? You like know, it, I, it's, it's good for the workers because they have that upward um, wage opportunity to the extent that it's busy. And if, if you can't bring people into your restaurant, yeah. then it keeps the owner accountable. And and honestly, it I, I've seen people post too. If you work at a a restaurant or behind a bar, they'll they'll post on their personal Instagram or something like that, and they'll say, "Come visit me from these hours. I'm gonna be behind the bar. Or I'm gonna be, um, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be working." And it it also helps drive business in. Otherwise, if they're paid a fixed fee, they're probably not gonna say that. Wait, can we tangent on to what Bell just brought up? Bottle girls at like Go clubs. Ahead. Like what do we got? What are, what kind of money do they rake in? Like are they killing it? Probably. Uh, Bell's not nodding right away. She's got something to say. I mean, like, oh, they're out there like half naked. Of course they're killing it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't tell me that you're at a table because like they're obviously like at a table where they're buying a minimum. So like when you're buying a minimum, you're like ten thousand dollars say for the table, and then they have to get enough bottles to like make up to that level um and then they're also out there in like bra and underwear like, i mean that's that like a drunk men... sick job i'll be right. honest and like, like you have flaring a... bottles and yeah. like dancing with like a name on there like and like right. your everyone's attention is on you like that's oh that's like that's a lot of right well and if you're too, at like... a table and say that it's like ten thousand dollar minimum 20 percent of that is two thousand dollars dang so like are you doing that table by yourself with someone else like i'm sure you're also tipping out bartenders but like that's a lot just off of a table. That's and why I wonder like, how hard it is to get that job. Like, do, do they, you think they get recruited? It is hard. Yeah, they do get recruited. They also have to, like, that's where you they have to post on social media. Mm. They have to post so much on social media. They have to, one, like, you obviously have to be comfortable with, like, that being your job and, like, you posting photos of yourself 
in not a lot of clothing. Yeah. So thanks to producer Celine, she found some research. A 26-year-old bottle service waitress makes between $1,000 and $3,000 a night in New York City and says the job, quote-unquote, means you're half a stripper and half a pimp. Because you have to, like... What a line. You have to, like, post and bring in people, too. So, like, a lot of times you'll see that these bottle girls start off their night going to a bar and, like, almost, like, promoting their club if, like, they have something going on later that night and, like, bringing tables in. So they, like, you'll sometimes see, and this is my knowledge from TikTok, is, like, you'll see them do, like, outfit changes into their, like, working outfit which is a bra and underwear. Hmm. So interesting. So when she's when she says it means you're half stripper and half a pimp, you're kind of you're kind of your own pimping yourself, right? Because yeah. you're you're trying to drive your own right, which business, like, I guess. Also, like those words are used loosely. We're obviously right, not right, saying right. that those people are right. selling their bodies or right. anything. We're keeping it but less less than R rated. Like obviously they're dressing in a certain way because men like to see it and like I guess enjoy someone bringing them a bottle with sparklers in their bra I'd say it's more of an entrepreneurial stripper yeah right like I mean like you're making a lot of money and you're only working a couple hours at night and like half of us are accountants and working way later than that and probably not making not making (laughs) a thousand to three thousand dollars a night actually now I'm thinking about it more and more this is probably sweet because then you actually are Probably your clientele are probably pretty well. They're they're probably either famous people or like smart and successful people. Versus like strip clubs, I like they're. I don't feel like the clientele, the clients that go there, are always like the best people. Alex like you know is what like, I mean? how do I get a job here? <laughs> All I'm uh, saying is like a stripper's job. I feel like it's doesn't have a lot of ups, but the bottle uh, girl's I, job, I think is. The clientele is way better. I kind of disagree. I, I don't think it is. I think I think bottle service does not correlate to people who have money to pay for bottle service. I think it's people who are spending what? money on on bottle service. Like we, we go out to the bar and we get a few like a couple beers and we complain that they're four dollars a pop. I think I, I don't think that people who are going and getting bottle service are have tremendously more income than we do. I think it's like a, a status. It's like a flex kind of right. thing. Right, and you're also so I don't think it. your clientele is really going to be all that much better. I think it's it's oh. in a lot of instances. I think it's a living above your means. I th- I do think you know there's some people entertainment industry like it's glorified right in in you know music and entertainment and I think those people obviously can afford to do it. But I I think most of, if you go to the clubs around. Charlotte, I think it's it's like it's a status thing. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it definitely is status. But like, I, but even like in in New York City when I lived there, like, bankers would work a lot. So then their weekends would be they're they're not going to strip clubs to like ball out. They're going to clubs and they're balling out with bottle service and they can afford it. Like, is it reckless? Hundred percent. But like, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't think strip clubs have the same, like. I think they're not they're not going uphill. I think they're going downhill, right? I just I think there's think, like a yeah. negative connotation with it. Oh, Bell's got something, but uh, I don't think bottle services. I think is going uphill. Like more people find status in that than yeah. strip clubs. I just don't know if you're like the target audience for a strip club. So when I moved to Charlotte, hmm. I lived right across from Uptown Cabaret, which is a strip club, and the gym like looked out on it, and 
it would shock you every day when you would, you know, get off work and you may be working out in the gym and it's like 7 p.m. on a Tuesday and you're just watching men after men like walk into the strip club. Like they were always full all days of the week. Like I think it's something that people don't talk about. They don't brag yeah. about wanting to go to a strip club and like that being something they do. But like it happens. I see it all the time on social media too that like most of these girls in the profession are doing more than just that strip club. Not to say that they're doing that in the strip club, but I think like a lot of them become sugar babies and go on trips and things like that where more things happen. Yeah. Well, to your point, Dom, saying that you don't think that people paying for bottle service necessarily, you know, live differently than we do, make more than we do, you know, more of a flex. I don't know. I think it depends on geography. Like I think in New York City, you know, I, you know what I mean? When, when Alex gave that, uh, yeah, that, that insight into who's getting it at New York City, it's, right. it's bankers and stuff. Obviously those guys make just stupid money uh, right. sometimes. And I mean, and yeah, they can, af- they, they can afford it. But I think in most cities... In, in most other cities, you're you're probably not seeing that as much. Does anywhere here have bottle service? Yeah, for sure. Really? Where? Yeah. I mean, uh, up, uptown. Place, some places uptown. Any, any club. Um, I think... Oh, no. Well, no. I was going to say, Kyrie Joe's, I thought. Had, but they have a oh, reserve section Alex, at the top. Alex, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dom, remember, we wanted those seats because they have yeah, the better yeah, view at the yeah, top. Yeah, but there's a reserve. There's a reserve. Not just can't, bottle service. <laughs> I actually had an old band there one tell me one time that he has a table up there at every concert. And anytime I wanted to come up, I could. What? Why have we not utilized this, Bell? Because I don't want to know what he expects to come up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry so, for this so, crazy can, tangent can, off of tipping, but can, I just. Can I, was, can I attempt to use this and bring us back a bring little us back. bit more? Bring wholesome. us back. Yep. Get us to some Get more. Get us back. G-rated content. <laughs> probably, probably PG. Probably PG. Go, so going okay. off of this whole discussion we've just had and relating it back to tipping that is not for services that are risque at all, uh, do you – now, both of you guys aren't going to be allowed to answer this question. Do you feel like you are inclined to tip more if your server is attractive? Wait, you want me to answer that? Uh, you're not allowed to, okay, actually. I was so say, I don't know yeah, why yeah, I asked. Yeah, yeah. Ale- Alex, I know, you were looking at me. I, I don't know. Like, Alex wait, was kind of nodding a little bit. I Let's can see. answer that. Okay, why can't I answer that? I don't know. Who, who knows who might be listening <laughs> and, and taking offense to uh, it? No, dude. I mean, I will tell you personally, I don't know. I think when I was single, 100% yes. 100% yes. Just a little bit. And I hate to say it, but that's just how it is. And I think, um, like, there's actually stats that show, like, yeah, if you look presentable and better and obviously obviously if you give really bad service and you look good like that's not gonna happen but yeah 100 percent. i think that's part of the deal so i have a question for dom so you're single and when you tip more are you also leaving your number like thinking that that may like make them want to reach out to you are you just like oh they're attractive maybe we'll bump into each other one day um i i don't think there's any future expectation i will say i probably am inclined to even subconsciously tip more to an attractive uh, server sometimes. Now, if I am to leave my number on a receipt, then yes, I would definitely make sure to tip above 20%. Does the leaving your number ever work out? Like, What's your success uh, Zero. Absolutely zero. Uh, actually, I, I did get a text back at, at least once. 
but it it, it it never amounted to anything. Uh, so well, yeah. All right. But going off of that, I never, based off of attractiveness, have I changed a tip ever. And oh honestly, come on! Swear to God, Get and out you know here. why? And you know why? No, no, no. Listen, because if I'm sitting there and like if I'm thinking they're kind of flirty or anything or anything like that, my thought immediately goes to, oh, they just want a bigger tip. That's exactly mm. what I think. I'm like, mm. I'm like, would she be talking to me this way if I wasn't here getting drinks and food from them? Like, she has so many other people to worry about. She's going to see a hundred so many people tonight. Wow. I, you know, and then I am just I, so happily fooled. <laughs> <laughs> but it, for for context, for context too, for the listeners, Celine. Ryan's girlfriend is sitting about 10 feet to his left. So, you know, does, does that influence what he's saying on here? You'd be the judge, but. <laughs> what about what about the other way, though, Bill? Got a, got a handsome man, and, uh, you know, maybe he throws a little look your way, and you, you give him a couple, couple extra. Time. I wouldn't say that that's the case. I would say that my friends, like last weekend, for example, bartenders at the bar, they're like, oh, that guy's giving me eyes. Like, I'm going to go get my ne- next drink from him. And then oh. the other guy was sitting, so what's a couple of our girlfriends at? And then a the guy was sitting next to them and was like, he gave me eyes too. So, I mean, I do think like as a bartender, like that's a great strategy. You get a dollar a drink, I guess. I feel like that's usually what I tip. That's a good question on the drinks thing. I think one of the things that bothers me about bar tips is like when I get a beer, like I tip them a dollar. Like everyone, you know, for a beer, usually tip a dollar. I think is the, the standard. But you guys, let me know if I'm wrong. But I kind of hate it because they literally go to the fridge and they go, it's, they open the beer and they hand it to me. So I'm like, I, I want to stop doing that, honestly. So when to and when not to tip? That's the question. I think, if I start it off, I think, like you said, I think, I've, I don't know why. I think it's just standard. You know, you get a beer, you do it off. So, but I'll say, I was at a golf course at the turn. I'm about to go to hole 10. This wasn't today. This was a few weeks ago. I go get a thing of crackers, which are one was way overpriced. And then it asked me if I wanted to tip the person who didn't even, mm. I chose the crackers. Was it, I was it the iPad? Up. Was it the iPad yeah. that swivels? Dude, it's the swivel iPad. It's the bastard. That, and the thing is, is they sometimes they hover over it and they look mm. at you. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like sometimes they know if I'm tipping or not. And then... Maybe if I got a hot dog and asked for like, you know, some cheese, on, some onions on it, like I think, oh my God, I'm going to get a lot better hot dog if I tip and th- because they're going to see it. Oh, because you're paying before. Absolutely. Before. Yeah, are, dude. Are you really going to get dude, a better I hot think, dog? I think people are that stingy now. I just, Wait, what are I they going to, how are they going to give you a better hot dog? Well, I mean. I think if it's something that. All right, time out, time out, time out. You've been at a golf course, you've seen hot dogs and you're like, okay, I hope I don't get that one, you know, and some, maybe, maybe you get that one because you dude, didn't tip. Uh, I don't know. They're but all pretty. Going back to the thing, I, I got a thing of crackers though. I picked it up. I yes. put it on the counter, and it asked me if I wanted to tip. And the thing, it was one of those where I just said yes, yes. I wasn't really paying attention. Yep. And I accidentally tipped a dollar. And, and the options they give you too for something like that, it starts at like fifteen percent or plus, which is what if I am going to a restaurant and you are serving me for the better part of an hour, the better part of two hours sometimes. And you're constantly coming over to check on me. You bring me out my food. You take my order. You remember it. You make sure that I'm not thirsty. You fill my water. And I'm tipping you 20% on that. Why would I possibly be tipping 15% even on you, know, you getting me crackers? So it's like I, I don't mind the tip so much 
but it should be scaled to the level of service. You know who we should be tipping? Who, Alex? Tell us. Dwight said this. Okay. And he's 100% right. Dwight, the character from The Office. From The Office, okay. True intellectual. Why don't we tip our dentists, our doctors, like our surgeons? Uh, because, okay. Because okay. They, they are actually providing a service that we can't do ourselves. All this other stuff, I don't need anyone to do it for me. I would rather – I honestly choose sometimes a restaurant or fast food so I, like, don't have to put a tip on it because – I there's don't some need, lo- there's some logic behind that. Yeah, like yeah. hop in. Like uh, there's a brewery where you can pour your own beer here in Charlotte. Like you don't have to tip on that. That's yeah. fantastic yep. because I can go pull a lever, pour my own beer, and I'm done. So, like honestly, those places are going to stop blow- start blowing up. I-, I have to be because tipping is this is ridiculous. This freaking swivel iPads, like you were saying. Well, you're right. I think that everything. Well, so we'll go back to it. But you're just on that point. You're right because you don't have to have as many staff to serve people. You don't have to, you can pay them, you know, less people, a normal wage, and you don't have to worry about if people are going to tip or not. So that's, yeah, that's a good call. But what, do want, you, what do you think? I want AI to start pouring my beer. That's oh. it. <laughs> Prime for disruption. I'll tip AI, honestly, <laughs> if, it, if it goes fire and it like, no. <laughs> so it, it makes my experience so much better. B- back to uh, Alex, your, your quote of Dwight Schrute. I, I, I think we were talking earlier about when, should the tip be baked in or not? And I think dentists, surgeons, etc., have the tip baked into that. I think they're well, right? But okay, okay. Fine. Reimagine all of that, right? If you didn't pay dentists as much, maybe, or maybe your tips, like two dentists, like offset some of their uh, pay, would cost the care go down. How, how about this? Everyone charges what their service, what the value of their service is, and tips are just for if you do a good job. Alex, this would also be like such an ethical thing. What like do you mean? You like, can't, well, okay, you right. You can't like do like, oh, this person isn't tipping me as much, so I can't do as good of a job on them. No, no, no. It's after. It's after. So if I survive this surgery, then you get ten percent bonus. <laughs> That's kind of sweet. You're stretching. <laughs> no, I, I, I get the ethical part, but if it was afterwards, you know, but then but maybe it's not. Easy as like pass fail. Like it's not well, like you live through. Well, <laughs> like we are going it down though? a tangent, but it's not like you live through this or you don't. And if you live, I'm gonna tip you more. It's like that is morbid. Here's the thing. I think it's pretty fair to say, no matter how bad your service at a restaurant, dining room, getting a coffee at Starbucks, whatever, people don't change their tips. They're so marginalized. Like, if you have a really bad experience, you change it. But really, other than that, people don't. So for a surgery, like, you'll change your tip pretty quickly if, like, I don't know. It's a crazy concept, but that's what we're here for. So another point to that is when you think about this, okay, yeah, Celine makes a good point. She typed up there. It is already way too – like, not way too – but it's so expensive to have a major procedure done. You're relying on insurance and all this. You're not paying it out – you're hoping you're not paying it out of pocket. You know, you would not want to pay that – Massive chunk. And the thing is, is doctors and everyone who goes into the medical field, you would hope, you know, they know they're already making a great wage, one. And usually they, they spend so much time learning what they're doing. And a lot of them want to go into the medical field to help people. So they're not going in for tips. So it's almost like giving a tip to someone who's, one, not expecting it, and two, doesn't need it. But I get the logic behind it. I really do. All right. I want to switch gears real quick because this has been bugging us. And I think one thing we want to talk about is DoorDash. And Uber deliveries and stuff, the delivery fees and the tips, 
What's your take on that? My, my take is charge charge what you need to charge, but you're going to see your volume of sales go down. I, I will only order DoorDash or Uber Eats if I'm in an absolute pinch because I think they've, they've squeezed the tips and uh, the delivery fees so much. Although I will say that the one, the one instance we had the other day when we were doing one of our pods and I came straight from work, I didn't have time to eat, and I ordered DoorDash. I didn't look at my destination, right? And, of course, I need the food ordered here to where we're recording um, in, in Ryan and Celine's uh, place. And DoorDash automatically has my address saved, right? So it it sends the DoorDash driver to my address. That's so tough. Yeah, I know. And it's bad. And she's like, so she's like, I'm arriving. And I go out, out in front of your place. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm looking for you. And then I look down at the phone. I'm like, oh. No, she dr- she had driven all the way to my place because that's that's where it, it it didn't pick up my location, so she she was nice enough to come and drive. It's only like five minutes, but to drive to your place, so I tipped extra for that because that's mm. that's my mistake. Dude, and that's, that's such a gritty driver. But, I love it. But that. other than that, I think it's it's getting you know very very overpriced, and I just really don't want to pay twenty plus dollars for one you know takeout meal that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so you think about the cost of the meal, the tax, the delivery fee, the tip. And then I'm swear to God, whenever I lived in Chicago, Chicago has a Chicago fee. Really? Between two to three dollars. Sometimes, not all the time, but two between two to three dollars. Just Chicago fee. I, I guess the question is too, do those additional delivery fees squeeze the tip that you're gonna put? No doubt. On the back. No doubt. So I, is, I it, think is so. it really kind of bad for the driver? Or does the driver get the delivery fee? I, I, I'm unclear on that. No, I mean, a lot of delivery fees, I think, for the the software or the group that is providing the service, the, the, the broker of the, the transaction. Yeah. The other thing with food delivery services is the restaurants get squeezed also. So that's why the prices are higher on the app than if you were to go get it directly from that restaurant is because – the apps are taking a percentage yeah. off the top right. of that. So they raise their prices so they can at least like make the same amount of money. I do have one other thought, though, on that. If if the tip is getting squeezed by all these extra fees that DoorDash is, is adding on and you're a driver of DoorDash, at, at some point you're just going to say, like, this isn't worth it for me anymore. Oh, totally. So totally. I, I don't know that we need to feel too – because that, that is a job that provides a ton of flexibility. You can do it whenever you want. Um, for the additional fee, and if the additional fee just isn't, I, I, I don't know that I feel all that bad because the platform has given you the opportunity to, to have that flexible stream of extra income, and if they can't operate it sustainably to where you get a, a decent wage and and tips to cover your gas and stuff like that, then but but it's not it's not a decent wage. Well, people people are not. Look at the people who are driving. Really nice people probably don't recognize that depreciation on their car is a significant cost. They don't make any money. Uber drivers actually make some money. I've done some of this math. It's not as high as they, people claim, and you know, but they're not making anything. Do people that have done it for a while though know how to do the the times that people order like the most expensive food? Like there is a whole way of doing it correctly to make money well. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure there is a so, correct. So the average person, so no. The average person, no. Correct. I think the average person, no. But there are the people who are 
think about it from an analytical standpoint and can, you know, create it to where it does produce money. But I think for the most people, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, I, at Slane also looked at this stat up. I was, we were curious. Um, 1.7 billion orders on DoorDash last year. And the previous year was 1.4 billion. I actually thought it was decreasing, so because of the prices, Damn. but uh, I guess not. So I guess somehow food delivery is an inelastic thing to the economy, which is absolutely ridiculous to me. Like I think I've done that. I think I've ordered on DoorDash maybe once in my life. Maybe, so maybe once. I maybe I, yeah, once for me. Too. I won't do it. I can't do it. So I'm. In- I would say that's bro? interesting because I think that maybe like from your perspective as like a single male. But I know from, like, my friends who have had kids and, like, females like that, they're getting everything delivered. Like, you yeah. don't want to go to a grocery store with a toddler and a baby. Like, they're getting all their groceries delivered. They're getting their dinners delivered if they can't make dinner that night. Like, yeah. it's a convenience thing. Like, that's why people are doing it. Even it's now, Celine loves to, to order what Harris Teeters. Yeah, Instacart. Yeah. I guess if you're doing it, too, for, like, the situation Belle mentioned – um, where you have multiple people, it, it scales a lot better. The reason I have trouble justifying it is because I'm just ordering one meal. But if you're doing a full meal for your family of five, I think you can justify the delivery fee. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. And I think, I think delivery of groceries and all that stuff is a little different. And obviously... Because that's a big time commitment, too. You're yeah. paying for your time, too. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny... We used to be doing this forever, right? Like pizza. Like we, everyone always got pizza and Chinese delivered, right? And you we used to have milk them. delivered, right? That's wild. Right? But like, that's that not crazy? anything changing. Like you still tip the pizza guy. You just gave yeah. him cash instead of paying a fee. But off. that's, I guess my point is I, we're like, we just keep adding in these middlemen. Yeah. I don't think the problem that you're having Same. is the tipping with these deliveries. It's the cut that the apps yeah. are taking off of it that are making it so much more expensive. Yeah. So I think this is – I want to get you guys' take on this. So I was at Smooth Monkey, the acai bowl, and um, the smoothie place. Shout out. Plaza Midwood. Yeah, shout out. Incredible place. Um, who They also have a rewards membership, and I got five bucks off my bowl the other day. That's here and over there. But um, I was there at the end of the day, and – Proud of you for that. Thank you very much. And they had a stack, like one of their freezers. They had a stack of DoorDash orders that were never picked up. And I was like, and I go, what, what's over there? Like in the, and he was like, oh, those are all the DoorDash orders that, you know, that got ordered, never got picked up. And usually what we do at the end of the night is they just give them away to people. Like they give me a huge, like frozen smoothie with like three different layers of different smoothies at the end that like they could have got rid of, but they end up giving it away. They had meals at the end that they sold cheaper because that they just never got picked up. And people paid for them too. Yeah, because you have to have a driver that picks it up. And so I don't think that this is something that, like, we see as much in Charlotte, but I know, like, I've seen in, like, New York, that you're tipping before. And so, and the drivers, like, select what they go do. I don't think, I don't think, it get, like, I don't think it gets assigned. So people and order so, and then it never gets picked up? Right, like, you have to have a driver pick it up. Oh, shit. So what if, like, a driver doesn't accept that pickup or that tip? But the, but the restaurant it. still makes it and... Yeah, and the user still paid for it. Damn. I think if it doesn't get picked up, though, then that's Door- DoorDash pays for that. Like Does they're not it? they're not going to charge if, if you're yeah if your food never gets picked up or delivered. They're yeah you'll get a refund for it. I'm sure. So DoorDash probably picks that. Up. That probably goes into their. I'm sure it goes into their calcs and all that. And maybe that contributes to why the delivery fee is so much is because they have to make up for that 
um, those right. lost. But you'd think they would hate that because that's Dude, so yeah. bad for them. Well, like it, that is so bad. If for it's happening look. in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Acai yeah. and Smoothie Bowl place, what they were there was a stack of orders in a small place that's in like a, a, hmm. a little strip mall, like. Think about bigger restaurants, too. Like, how much is that happening? Yeah, but it is, like, an interesting business concept because, like, they're relying on people that are setting their own schedule. They have no clue who's going to be working that day and yeah. at what times. I just thought it was – I, I didn't even know – I my mind never even went there to that was a possibility. And then I saw it, and I, I don't know. Just hmm. a lot of questions after that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I do have a pretty good way to close this out that relates to uh, tipping here and also to closing out. If you are at a bar and there is a two o'clock is quickly approaching. Everyone is going up and closing out their tab. You've left your tab open. Maybe you thought you were going to have a few more drinks than you did. Do you go out, go up to the bar, wait in the line and close out your tab? Or do you accept the 20% I think is, is generally what they're going to put on it? Do I remember how many drinks I bought? Uh, <laughs> some nights you might. I don't know. I don't That's know. what I'm saying. Like, do, if do. I was like, uh, I bought, you know, a round of shots and it equaled up to like, you know, 20. I, at that point, I'm just like, well, fuck it, round 20%, you know, and maybe eat the 20 or maybe still do the 20%. I don't know. But like, if I knew I bought five beers, I'm out of there at two. I just, you know, drank those five beers over how many hours? I'll tip the five bucks and I won't, I won't do it that way. Yeah. So. I guess twenty percent to if you're if you have a policy of tipping a dollar per drink, right? And twenty percent, so a dollar per drink at twenty percent. If you average five dollars per drink, right, then you're tipping a dollar per drink. So generally, I feel like your 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 drinks at a bar, depending on what you get. If you're getting Mick Ultras or you're getting Bud Lights or something like that, you'll probably be right around there. If you're getting craft beers or cocktails, you're probably going to be a little bit higher. So maybe that maybe that plays into your decision. But I think anything on top of that, if I'm saying I got five drinks, they were each $7. So I'm going to be tipping a little bit over a dollar a drink if I just leave now. I think I'm probably willing to justify that extra dollar or something as a convenience fee for me just getting out of there and not having to wait in in that line. I accept the 20%. Yeah. Honestly, I, I can't be bothered I anymore. Say, I have never left my card at a bar before that takes your card. And that is because if they try and take my card, I'm like, okay, just kidding. Close it out. Because I probably would. Because it's like more of an inconvenience to me to go up there and like wait in line than mm. it's just big. I didn't take the line in consideration. Sorry, I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking of the cost. But never? You've never left your card? I've never. No, not that. All right, I didn't think all right, all right. This is for you. This is for you two. Then. Over under, seven times you've left your card at a bar. I'm 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 pretty, I'm pretty well under that. I think, Alex is baffled. Are you baffled. kidding? I'm, Guys, I'm not, I'm no not kidding. way. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm way over, dude. And I, I'm not a forgettable person in general. But when you get alcohol involved, thank you, Belle. Yeah, I I forget. I mean. And I'm pretty good with that. And I'm with Belle. I don't like to leave my card. Like, if- I, I, I am shocked that I haven't. Like, the only time yeah. I thought I did was, like, Halloween one year. And I woke up in a panic at 5 a.m. And, like, there was my card in my purse. And I was, like, shocking. I, I think I might have lost potentially about seven credit cards oh, at a bar. Go, you don't go back. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm, north, I'm north of 10. 
<laughs> not not lost, not lost, but left it at the bar. Yeah. Because oh. at college one time, I remember waking up, and the bartender, who was my friend's girlfriend, texted me. He goes, she goes, hi, you know, you left your car at the bar, and I just text her, I'll be back in like four hours. And I said, I'll be back later tonight. Just leave it. You're like, I'm already right. Yeah, like, so, yeah. So does it count if you leave it, but then go back and get it while you're still out that night? If you switch to another bar and then you're like, oh, we got to go back here. Does that, does that count in your, in your scenario? You left it overnight, that would count. Yeah, I think overnight counts. You can retrieve it. Okay. In that case, I, I am honestly pretty good about that. And recently I've been a much more responsible drinker, but even, but back in my, in my college days when, you know, the, chance of me forgetting was a lot higher we'll say i would always wake up i had this one drawer in my you know the, the little desk they give you in a dorm room that mm-hmm. is just standard it has a little slide out drawer oh yeah i would wake up i would look around i would go to that drawer phone wallet in there almost every time wow Fantastic. so you've trained yourself just Fantastic. to subconsciously yeah. throw it in there yeah that's impressive honestly yeah phone key wallet of freshman year that's a smart guy, that's a smart yeah. thing to get in that's what i have to set up I went through a phase. I went through a phase where yes, I would leave. I would leave my card at the bar, but I would go through a phase. It was for probably a year. It was my entire junior year. I would wake up if I didn't remember the night before. I would wake up and all of my f- clothes would be folded, and my hat would be on top, and my wallet would be in my hat. It looked like I was. Pr- I looked like I was in the military. I just had everything folded <laughs> and lined up, and I woke up and I'm like, holy shit, everything's in a pile. It was. It was weird, but yeah. <laughs> I went through a phase of that. That's awesome. I'm speechless. So I don't even know what to say. I mean, that's that's fantastic. I was, I was I was so proud of myself. I was like, this. I'm so irresponsible, but responsible at the same time. Like, I don't know. It was it was weird. But yeah. All Give right. Is that how we close it out? Story like that? Or are you gonna forget to close this out? Or are we gonna? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I might. Don't don't forget to tip us. <laughs> we have a we have an iPad oh. that will swivel over. Uh, yeah, right at on, the end of this podcast. <laughs> and can you give us can you give us a soundbite of if you are a senior in high school and someone says, "Bell, tell us your name and where you're going to college." I actually think that you would do better at mimicking what I would be. <laughs> All right, should I do, should I do it? Yeah. Do it. My name is Bill Guilford, and I'm going to the University of Arkansas. Woo pig. <laughs> Woo pig, Dom. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Half and Half podcast. As always, you can find us anywhere good podcasts are streamed or watch our episodes on YouTube. If you've been enjoying our content, you can help us grow by following us on Instagram at the Half and Half Club Podcast. Or leave us a five-star review on whichever streaming platform you listen to the podcast. Uh, as a note, we received several five-star reviews this past week, and our policy is that we will read out live uh, any comments, whatever they say, on the pod. Uh, no one was bold enough this time, but we hope you will be uh, for the next cycle here. So we'll see you again for next episode next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>